let's do this. Let's um, one last time here just to get your legs all ready to go. Let's stand and reverence the reading of God's word. We're in Second Corinthians chapter 11. If you're a guest with us, we, we're preaching through the book of Second Corinthians. We're we're around in third. We're now at the end of chapter 11, actually in the middle of chapter 11. We have just just a couple verses, just four verses to cover. So it should be a very short message. So you're not going to fall for it, are you? Verse 12. Here's what the Word of God says. But what I am doing, I will continue to do, so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be found just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his ministers also disguise themselves as ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Let's just ask God's blessing over the word again. We need your word. We need it to love you, to be transformed, to be renewed, to reject the deceptions of Satan and man, and to love you and be transformed. So we need your word. It's what we need in 2024 the most. We need access to you. We will get it through the word. The word is, is, is shown through the spirit works with the word. God's people together need to speak the word to each other. We need it. We need this. Would you have your hand on this? Would you let it accomplish your purpose in our souls? Would you do this? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you. Well, um, I have a couple of things over here. Uh, how many of y'all like, like fishing? We have any fishers? Raise your hand if you like fishing, right? You like fishing, okay? All right. Also, also raise your hand if you are not intimidated to hold a fishing lure. Anybody not intimidated to hold a fishing lure, right? Not intimidated by it, right? All right. Anybody by raise a hand, are you intimidated by a fishing lure? Anybody intimidated by a fishing lure? You're not? Well, there's something on a fishing on a fishing lure that's not too good. Does anybody know what that is? A hook. None of y'all afraid of hooks? Well, I can be. So, okay. Well, I have a couple here, and if I hook myself, don't be surprised. I've done that many times. Any of y'all ever been fishing before and someone hooked you? Ever happened? Um, I can promise you, it wasn't fun, was it? <clears throat> so, I have a couple of lures here okay so a couple of uh fishing bait here okay some people who said they're not intimidated who's not intimidated over here all right, all right madison here stand up here and let's see let's see would you grab this here right try not to hook yourself because i i just about hooked it trying to give it to you right so i have another one here who, who over here is okay you're comfortable you're not intimidated by this sydney right here no you're Sydney's studying studying for veterinary, so you you're not intimidated by this kind of stuff, right? Do vet do veterinarians take care of fish? Y'all do that? You can, right? Okay, all right, all right. Who do we have over here? Right, David, are are you comfortable? Are you comfortable handling? Are you sure? All right, I know you're very sensitive. I could throw this to you. <laughs> and there's one right here. Uh, I really thought was really interesting. Um, this one, Brent, these are all from Brandon Bennett, right? So, um, if you take one of these, then, you know, give it back to him. This one is a frog and really interesting. It's kind of real soft and you, you really don't, the, the hook doesn't really expose itself until you kind of bite down on it. I think this one's really, this one's really kind of fun, right? Um, so here's the thing. The thing about bait, right? The thing about lures like this, bait like this, the design of it, is to disguise, right? That's a, that's a design. It's to create something that is disguising to a fish. So the fish doesn't know that there's a hook on the back end. It's meant to disguise. It is disguised to deceive. That's how you catch the fish. If the fish knew that something bad was lying at the other end of this piece of bait, then then the fish wouldn't bite it, right? But in the end, this is meant to actually disguise and deceive right 
Now, all of you that have a lure, right? You have one of these right here. They're meant to disguise and deceive, but what's the most dangerous thing about this? Like if you just, like Madison, would you, I mean, how comfortable would you feel if you just kind of threw this up in the air and just kind of caught it with your hand without any, I mean, that would that be intimidating to do? We're probably not advised. Do you want to try it? Or, uh, you can pass. I mean, how much you pay? Eternal rewards, right? That's what you would get, right? So it wouldn't be advisable, would it? It wouldn't. It's nothing... It's nothing that you want to flirt or play around with, right? Or, David, let's say that in a sign of gesture of love and appreciation for your wife, you were just to take it and just cavalier, cavalierly just kind of pitch it to your wife or pitch it to your son in the air next to you just to kind of catch, right? That probably wouldn't be a good thing, right? That would not ring in a great 2024 for you, my friend. Why is that? Or 25 or 26 or any of that. Why is that? Because this bait is meant to disguise and deceive, but it's nothing that you play around with. Even, and why would you not play around with it? Because you realize there is a hook at the very end of it. There is something there that is to disguise and deceive, but you're not deceived. You see through it, so it's nothing to play around with. Now, there's a reason why I'm showing this to you. It will come out further and further as we get into the message, but this is how Satan actually attacks. This is how False teaching attacks. This is how false ideas get attached to our world. It's always through the idea of disguising to deceive. Disguising to deceive. And what happens many times is we bite into those things. The reason we bite into those things is because we don't realize there's a hook at the end. But for those of us that realize, it's something we don't play around with, right? And one of the things that you'll realize as we kind of go through this text, and I hope it bears out, and if you're looking for a title for the message, I've just given it to you, disguised to deceive. That's what we see in this text. The thing that that we have to be careful about is sometimes we can even see the disguises that Satan has planted, that our own souls have planted, that the world and man's philosophies have planted. And we know there's some deception, but we even think sometimes it's okay just to play around with that deception. But you never really do that. I mean, Madison wouldn't throw us up in the air and, Try to juggle. I mean, of course, it'd be awesome. But one thing I've never seen in life is anybody juggling fishing lures, right? I've seen people juggle chainsaws. But what about fishing lures, right? Doesn't seem to be advised. You'll see why we're going to do that. Talk about that more in the text because the text actually talks about that kind of idea. But this is the overall scope that Satan, false teachers, all kinds of sin, the, the goal is always to disguise, to deceive. And at the back end, there's always a hook. And the hook hurts a lot more than you imagine. And if you've ever been hooked before, I mean really hooked. There's something on the hook. Have you ever noticed what's on the back of a hook? Yeah. And what's that bar designed for? Not to let out, right? Not to let go. It doesn't pop out. It keeps you. It sinks in once, once the hook is set. Well, that's how it works in our text today. It's all about... Disguising to deceive. And Paul talks about this. So in our text, let's walk through it. We have four points here. Um, then Paul really, the heart of it, he's trying to get across once again to these Corinthians that there are these false teachers. He's calling them false apostles. They're claiming to be the apostles of Jesus and they're not. They're false. They're called pseudo apostles in the Greek. They're not. They're, they're not God's representatives. And these false apostles are teaching the people something that see, they're, they're disguising to deceive. And what they're disguising is these false apostles are telling the people, listen, the way to salvation is by your own works. Obey the law of Moses to earn your salvation, and then you can have eternal life. Where Paul is trying to tell them, listen, although you will obey God as a result of your salvation, you're not saved by what you can do. And so there's this, they're called Judaizers, and they're mixing, they're trying to mix Grace and man's own work and man's own ability to be a good person. That's one of the things that you'll know that you're ready for salvation when you realize you are not a good person. You are a person that deserves the wrath and judgment of God. That's what Paul was trying to fight against. Now, one of the things when you take a look at verse 12, and this is point number one, Paul shows the difference between himself and these false apostles. Paul has no disguising or deception that he's trying to do with these Corinthians. But these false teachers called false apostles are teaching false things. There's all sorts of disguising and deception that they're doing. 
But look at the text of verse 12. Paul says, but what I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be found just as we are and the matter about which they are boasting. Now, remember, the false teachers, false apostles were teaching false doctrine, false teaching. They were that you can earn your way to God by your own good works. Right now, what's interesting in verse 12, what he's telling them is they take money from you. And by the way, that's not wrong to 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 get paid to do ministry. It's not wrong. But Paul had a policy that when he was doing ministry among the Corinthians directly to them, that because of their affluence and their ability to think that they could buy their way up into God, he wanted to make sure that they never paid him anything for doing missionary activity to them. But these false apostles and teachers come along, and here's the reason they come, because they can get paid and get paid really well. They come in and they say, Paul is not legitimate because he doesn't take any money from you guys. We do. They had to justify their their greed to these people. Paul comes in. He's going to make a third visit. He's going to make a third visit. And he warns them in verse 12, but what I'm doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity, cut off opportunity from those who desire opportunity. So he says, when I come, don't try to give me an offering for me personally. I'm not going to take it. It's kind of like this. When you have one of these lures, what's, I mean, does it work well if I just kind of throw it out into the lake and just kind of let it sit there? Would that be a, that'd be kind of a bad strategy, right? What, what is on this to kind of make it a good strategy? Yeah, there's some kind of hole. There's a leash or something that you can put a, um, a string on so that when it's time to catch the fish, you can pull it in. Well, Paul basically comes in and says, I'm not even going to put a, disguise or deception around. In fact, I'm going to cut the line. I'm going to cut the line so you know there's a clear difference between them and myself. I'm not here to disguise, to deceive you into anything. And I'll make such a clear distinction that when I come again, I'm not going to take a penny from you for myself personally. Now remember, when he comes, he'd receive an offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem, but it wasn't intrinsically, anything wasn't about him. He creates this clear difference between those who are really true teachers of God's word and true teachers of the gospel, and those who are not true teachers of the gospel. So Paul says, it's going to be easy. I'm going to show you. Now, for those of you that, um, you know, there are, there are these people who are trained to notice counterfeit money, right? Um, counterfeit money. And one of the biggest, and you may know this, I'm sure you do, because you probably heard this. Those who are charged with looking at counterfeit money, even in the past when we had more of a check society, people who could know, notice counterfeit checks, what was the main way that person would be trained to notice something that was counterfeit? Study the real thing, right? That's what Paul's trying to say. He's saying, you're going to know what's real. I'm going to show you what's real so you can notice something that's counterfeit. The difference is these false teachers, they're all about what they can get from you. My ministry is really about what I can give to you and for you for the glory of God. Totally different. So Paul says, I'm going to cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity. No opportunity is going to be made for this. Absolutely. I'm cutting the fishing line per se. Nothing's going to happen. There's a difference between them and me and what, what, what I'm trying to do for you. Which just brings me to a kind of a side thought. Look at verse 12. Although Paul is trying to compare himself with the false teachers so they can know there's a difference between true teaching that's from God than not. But I do see a phrase that has a great application. Paul says, so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity. So I just want to take a step back. In my own time of studying this text, the question came up in my my kind of my kind of life and heart and thought for our church was what opportunities for sin are we in need of cutting off in our lives this year? What inward desires, what heart change must happen? For us to no longer desire those opportunities to sin. Paul here, and really this is in reference to what he's doing for them, but there's a great personal application. Paul says, I'm going to even cut off the opportunity for you to stumble in this. Let's take a step back. What things, what things in our life is it time for in 2024 to cut off opportunity for that sin any longer? Does that make sense what I'm saying? What, what opportunities do we need to cut off? I mean, by the way, this is how change happens. We change out, we change inwardly and outwardly. If you were to look at Ephesians, 
uh, 4, verse 22 through 24, there's two dual things that go on as we change in life. We put off the unrighteous thoughts and actions. We put on the righteous thoughts and actions. And God starts to do a transformation, a renewing of our heart and life through that. And many times that's cutting off the opportunity to get into those sins. But that's not enough. Because notice he says, so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity. It's more than just cutting off those things outwardly. There's got to be a cutting off in the heart. There's got to be a desire for Christ. Now, remember, he's referencing false apostles, false teachers. But there's a great application. This is how sin works. We desire it first. Then we go after it. This is why you'll see sometimes people will try to stop sin in their life by just doing outward things. That's really not enough, right? It's really not enough. There's got to be a heart change as well. It's a both and. So we see here in the text that. Paul is showing them there's a difference between me and these false apostles. I've not come to to disguise, to deceive. They have. And I'm going to make a clear difference. I'm going to show you something that is legitimate and real that I'm not going to take the money from you. But I want you to notice that these guys, these guys are constantly taking money. In fact, the only way they can justify their pilfering of you is to accuse me for not taking money. Isn't that crazy? That, that it was all over money was one of the biggest reasons that these false apostles and teachers used. By the way, um, do you think false teaching, false teaching still happens today? Yeah. And guess what it's typically motivated by? Money. That's one of the things that you have to be careful of as Christians. Not, not all that glitter, not all that is gold that glitters is really gold, right? Not all that glitters is gold. You have to be careful. Even in Christianity, you know that Christianity can be very profitable. Do you know that you can sell your products and you can sell your Christianity in such a way to make an extreme profit. And there's a lot of false teachers doing that. Be careful. Be careful. Not everything that is shiny, not everything that people acclaim is of God. Now look, here's point number two if you're taking notes. So point number one is Paul shows the difference between himself and these false apostles. So there's no disguising to deceive. But now point number two, and this is verse 13. Paul shows the strategy of the false apostles. He shows the strategy. They have a strategy. And you might already have been clued into it, but let's look at verse 13 for their strategy. He says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as the apostles of Christ. Right? So if you're an apostle of Christ, this was you had to see the, re, the, the resurrected Christ. You had to see him. And the apostles had unique abilities. They had also unique authority from God. Um, we don't have apostles like this anymore, capital A apostles. We don't have apostles who are dictating new scripture to us, received directly from God. God's not giving direct revelation through apostles like he did in the early church here. That's not happening anymore. Um, but what was happening that day is these these men were coming in and they were saying, Jesus is speaking to us directly. And what Jesus is telling us is, you're saved not only by what he's done, but also by what you do. Paul's saying, no, you're not saved by that. You're saved only by the grace of God through faith. Now, in the text, it's interesting, verse 13. He says, of such men are false apostles. So that word false apostles, it's, it means pseudo. In the Greek, it's pseudo apostles, meaning not real, false. But now you get to notice right here the strategy. He says, they're deceitful workers disguising themselves as the apostles of Christ. I want you to notice in verse 13, he talks about, about the temptations coming by disguising. In verse 14, he talks about temptations coming from Satan by disguising. In verse 15, he comes back to the idea of these false apostles doing their work through disguising. So three times the word disguise is used. So guess what, what strategy is going to be used? Disguising. Now, what's interesting, when you look in verse 13, notice he says, for such men are false apostles, then he says what? Deceitful workers. Now, it's interesting. That word, deceitful, that's an adjective, right? And it's meant to, it's meant to describe the noun, which are the workers, the false apostles in that verse. So it's an adjective. Now, the Greek word used right here as an adjective, it's a, it's a good, it means deceit. It means trickery. But now that same word, when it's used in a noun form, in a noun form in the Greek, that same word, not used as an adjective, but as a noun, it has the meaning of fish bait. Fish bait. Now you get to why we would talk about a lure or fish bait of some sort this morning, right? In verse 13, when he says, 
For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers. Remember, it's being used as an adjective. But if you were to use that same Greek word in its noun form, it means fish bait. What he's saying is, these workers, they work by deception. The way deception works is it disguises to deceive just like fish bait. That's the way bait works. It shows you something. It disguises something. It deceives you, and you don't really know until the hook's set into you. This is how false teaching works. This is how Satan works. It's this disguising to deceive. Here's a question to ask ourselves. What sins are some sins that are often disguised as innocent, but really meant to deceive? Here's another question. Just asking myself this question. Asking ourselves this question. Have you ever been deceived by sin because it was disguised as something good? That's that's how Satan's work. That's his strategy. To disguise, to deceive. So much so that, go to verse 14. This is point number three. Paul reminds them that this is the same strategy Satan uses. It's not like these false apostles are getting this strategy of themselves. They're taking the playbook. The playbook's already there. Notice he says in verse 14, for no wonder. You see that word no wonder? That basically is kind of this idea of no duh, right? I mean, we know about this. We've seen this pattern before. This is all the way back in the garden. In fact, look up at verse 3. He says something about this. He says, but I fear that the serpent, what does it say? Deceived Eve by his craftiness. Same chapter. So, no one's... No one's caught off guard by this, but he has to remind them that this is the same strategy that Satan uses. So if someone is being used by Satan, naturally they're going to use his kind of strategy, disguising to deceive. What a what a shocking thing. I think some of the Lord can actually work a work in our life in 2024. If we'd ask the Lord and say, Lord, will you even reflect in my life? I'm not calling you a false teacher or anything. I'm just saying. Lord, would you reveal in my life where it is I'm practicing a disguising to deceive others into getting what I want from them, right? That even happens. Now notice in verse 14, he says, no wonder, don't be surprised by this. This is how Satan works. Even back in the garden, that's how he worked, right? Remember when he came to Eve? It wasn't this outright kind of, um, it was really slow and subtle disguising. Has God really said that you can't have that tree? Has God really said? I mean, God can't be that austere. He can't, you know, call into question God's character, call into question God's word. That's why Eve was deceived. Notice in the text of verse 14, he says, for no wonder even Satan disguises himself as a, what does it say? They're taking this from such things as Ezekiel 28, which is a dual description and describing not only, talking not only about the king of Tyre, but also uh, many believe this would be Satan in his created original spirit form he fell he fell in his rebellion against god but in his beginning he was known as being beautiful um a lot of people think of satan as this idea of he's this pitchfork guy with big red horns and walks around drawing pentagrams on walls and that's everything that's satan Uh, and i would say well yeah you don't want to go around around drawing pentagrams or anything of that nature but satan typically works a little bit different he likes to disguise to deceive so When Satan's really working, he's dressing things up to look really nice on the outside. He makes it even look very Christian and then pulls people in. What are these false teachers doing? They're doing the same thing that Satan does. Disguise things up, make it look really nice, really Christian, really clean, really neat. Because if you make it look too vile, everybody just runs off. So we see, he says, he talks about him being an angel of light. Ezekiel 28 says this about um, says to the over the king of Tyre, but also there's a dual application to Satan. You had a seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Very precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, and gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you created until righteousness, unrighteousness was found in you. Many would take that as a text that really also dual describes Satan's original beginning. He was beautiful. He was, he looked like an angel of light. 
He is not an angel of light today, but he likes to disguise himself as an angel of light today. And that's why he says, no wonder, no wonder. Don't be ignorant to the, this, the disguises and deceptions this of them, of these false teachers, because this is exactly how Satan works. He's a counterfeit. The only way you notice a counterfeit is by studying what is true. Now, there's this problem we have sometimes that we give the Satan too much credit. For instance, we use this phrase, right? The devil made me do it. But also there's this idea that we don't give him credit when he really does need to have credit, right? There's this both. Satan is alive and well and doing things. He's, he is a defeated foe, but he is alive and well. He's still doing work. We don't want to, as God's people, to blame everything off on Satan. At the same time, we don't want to discount him that he's not working and there's actual real spiritual warfare going on around us. That's why he says in verse 13 things like, and no wonder, and no wonder. He wants them to know, like, this is the way Satan worked in the garden. He's still working this way today, and you should be aware. No wonder. By the way, just a side note, and no wonder. What if in 2024, that was a phrase that we sometimes would start to, start to kind of put in our soul Here's the deal. The only way you notice a disguise is you have to know the real article, right? Once again, how do you notice a counterfeit? By studying what is real. Now here's sometimes, I think, for our own souls and our own life. Many times we continually get into the deception of sin and buy into the disguise because we don't know God's word. Like for instance, if we take a look back at 2023 and go, what did my personal worship time with the Lord look like? Just me in the prayer closet or the time in God's word, memorizing it. What did that look like? What did my time of discipling with others look like? What did time with worshiping with my church body look like? What did this look like in 2024? And if it was meager, paltry, hardly even hardly known, then why would we ever think we could actually resist sin? Why would we not think we would buy into disguises? I would tell you this, if, if, if your own personal devotion time with the Lord in His Word is small and minuscule and pretty much unknown, then I would say, well, no wonder you're having the thoughts you're having. I mean, no wonder. No wonder that you can't get out of bed on a Monday and not have defeating thoughts. No wonder that the biggest problem that we might believe is that it's everybody else around us and not our own sin. No wonder, no wonder the very marriage that you're in, you may think, well, life would be better if I just didn't have that person. Well, if if you don't have God's word, you're going to give yourself into that. Like, no wonder, no wonder you could be married. And by the way, if you're doing this, stop it today, please. You could have the stupidest kind of verbal communication you'll ever have with your spouse, which is this. Should we get a divorce? Right. I cannot tell you how many people I've counseled where it seems like they constantly talk to each other about divorce and separation. How can you do those kind of things? I'll tell you why. Because there's such little of God's word. When when God's word is preeminent, you can see through the disguise and deception of it. But when you don't have it, you just buy into those things. You, you bite into the lure, the fish bait, really easy. So he says in verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 14, no wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That's what Satan likes to do. He disguises himself. He makes it attractive. That's how we bite into sin. You often heard this analogy of how do you boil a frog, right? How do you boil a frog? You don't get the water to full boil. What do you do? You put the water in lukewarm water. Then you slowly start, start to turn the temperature up till it's too late for the frog. What do you have to do? You have to disguise to deceive. This is how Satan works. This is how false teaching works. This is how it works. There's things that we do in life many times that we, it's the things are disguised, but it's really just disguised to deceive us instead of hooking us. I'll give you some examples. Sometimes you could be so stressed out in life and that you kind of think to yourself, well, if I just have this substance, it'll help me. I just need something to knock the edge off. By the way, you may, by the way, I would, discourage you from ever buying this thing but something i've discovered more and more and in just my counseling of people is there's a substance that you can get in almost every convenience store now called kratom right there's a lot of articles coming out about it right you can get it it's terribly addictive and terrible to your life but a lot of people will start taking it 
because it's something that knocks the edge off. But sometimes people are knocking the edge off with a substance, whether it's alcohol, whether it's nicotine, whether it's some substance, just trying to knock the edge off. Now, I'm telling you this for this reason. That is oftentimes disguised to deceive and we don't see it. And, and just the only way you're going to see it is if God's word through his spirit is what's permeating your soul. You have to have what is authentic and original to notice the deceptions. People do think we do things. We deceive ourselves. This is what Satan does. And he dresses it up as something really good. For instance, I've there's been so many that have fallen prey to adultery because of things like just flirting with a co-worker and saying things like, well, it's just innocent or contacting somebody, um, an old friend on on Facebook. That's for you old people, right? For us. Um, or what other millions of different apps there are and thinking, well, this is just innocent. Or it could be even things that tear down relationships. Well, words that tears down relationships really bad. And this is one of the disguises that deceive is and notice this. Notice the next time, by the way, be careful about pointing this out in other people. It usually doesn't go well, but notice for your own salt, right? So this is not one of these times to point the finger at someone else, but to point the finger at our own soul. You know, one of the biggest relationship busting words to use with people that you love. It's the word you never are you always. You ever heard that word before? You always, you never. Right. And now a couple things. One is this. That's probably more than likely you're breaking God's commandment. You're not telling the truth. That's not true. You might be able to say to somebody, sometimes there are times, but we have to use these words. You never, you always. Now, what, what is that doing? When we're using those words, oftentimes we're disguising ourselves and deceiving ourselves to paint the worst picture about somebody because it justifies our treatment of them. We'll do things like this. We'll even do silly things such as, you know, I don't need to gather with God's people as the Bible has commanded me. I don't need a church. You know what I need? I just need my Bible and preaching podcasts. Praise God to have a Bible in my hand and, and any morning, any day, any afternoon, I can find great preaching. But it never actually takes away from the gathering of God's people together. Now, the reason I say that, I know you're like, well, we're here, Nick. Why are you even talking about this? Like, reach to the choir. Because I just want to point out, that is a disguise to deceive. Here's what happens with most of the people that I've noticed. I've noticed. In fact, I talked to one last night that a lot of times what happens in life is you kind of get this idea of like, ooh, life's busy. Like, I got things to do. I got I got ball for my kids on the weekend. Or, man, I just got work on Sunday. Or, I mean, I just got all these things I got to do or these things I want to do. And the thought will be, well, I'm reading the scriptures and I'm listening to really good things during the week. And, I mean, God's God's okay with it. And here's what happens to most of those people. They don't realize that that is a disguise to deceive them, that idea. Those are good things. What usually happens is at some point, people get vulnerable, right? And at some point, those vulnerable thoughts don't get counteracted unless God's people are in their life. And what happens is those people start to get to a point of discouragement and aloneness and they they're kind of um, they're kind of living in this land of exile and they will get they will think thoughts that aren't true at all, but they'll convince themselves. This is what I love about a couple years ago when we had the COVID time. I didn't like the COVID time, but here's what it did teach many of us that what happens when you actually are siloed from people, it's actually really not good for you. There's actually thoughts that you're going to have that aren't really thoughts that you should be having. But these are disguises to deceive us. Even there's other things we do. Sometimes we even do this now. You'll see You'll see even people do this who maybe are going into a dating, the dating world and they'll go ahead and they'll start living with someone outside of marriage or they'll start dating someone who's not even a Christian and just kind of they'll, they'll, they'll buy into these deceptions to deceive deceptions such as, you know what? It's OK for me to date a pagan because if if this relationship goes forward, I'm so godly and so holy that they'll just become a Christian because I'll be such a light of Jesus to them. Right. Catch the sarcasm. Right. <laughs> Disguise to deceive. Right. That's how it works. This is Satan's way. Often everybody thinks that Satan's waiting around underneath your bed or, you know, just to kind of grab your ankles as you as you. Oh, you all know. Y'all thought that when you were little. Right. Like you didn't want to step off the bed for fear that 
He was going to grab you. Am I the only one that thought that when I was little? Some of you might be thinking, I think that's still now. <laughs> I get off the bed and I start running. Or right? as soon as I wake up in the morning. Many times we think this is how Satan works. No, Satan likes to present a good picture. He likes to dress it up. He's an angel of light. He presents it as a good thing until the bait is set. A couple uh, weeks ago, y'all might have heard about this. Did y'all hear about this um, Satan club that's going on at Cordova, one of the Cordova Elementary Schools, right? And it's kind of like, what What in the world is going on, right? Um, well, uh, what's interesting is, by the way, I, I'm not denoting that this Satan club is is being led and run by Satan and his followers. So not denoting that. But if you read the description that the Associated Press put out, um, it almost paints, it, they almost capture some truth of how Satan works. He disguises to deceive. So let me read this for you from the AP article. It says this, an after school Satan club plans to begin offering activities to children at a Tennessee elementary school following Christmas break. It actually is happening January the 10th um, in Cordova this, you know, next January. The Satanic Temple of Memphis plans to host a club at Chimney Rock Elementary School in Cordova. News outlets reported it will begin meeting on January the 10th in the school's library and run through the spring semester, according to an announcement Tuesday posted on social media. A flyer about the club says a satanic temple. Now, now what, what I want you to notice, um, by the way, Satan usually doesn't work by flashing the headlines of like, hurry up. Here's what I'm doing. Remember, his goal is to disguise to deceive. However, Notice inside what they're trying to describe the club. And I want you to notice disguise to deceive. So let me read for you what what the Satanic Temple says. A flyer about the club says the Satanic Temple is a non-theistic religion that views Satan as a literary figure who represents a metaphorical construct of rejecting tyranny and championing the human mind and spirit. Now, to us who can discern God's word, we can see through the disguise. But for those outside of Christ, they can't see that. They just think like, oh, okay. So, just a literary figure. Okay, I get it. No big deal. It goes on to say this. It says it does not attempt to convert children to any religious ideology. Yes, it does. But that's how they describe it. But offers activities. Notice this. Look how sanitary this sounds. So sanitary. So and it's really just it's really just disguising to deceive. It's really just designed to emphasize a scientific, rationalistic, non-superstitious worldview. Now it seems so sanitary, but that's how Satan works. Now, oftentimes I'd be honest with you. Um, although, yes, I would say Satan's right behind this. Usually, usually, Satan doesn't just come out on full frontal attack and just let you know, right? Usually it's a little bit more deceptive and secretive, even from just a plain viewing. But this is how Satan works. By the way, just a side note, do you remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness? Do you remember what he over and over and over used to combat Satan? What did he use? Word of God, right? And what did Satan do with Jesus? Remember, he'd been fasting for 40 days and he said, see this stone, you can turn it into what? Bread. What he's trying to do, disguise to deceive. Or he says, hey, the scriptures say you can get to the pinnacle temple. You can jump off and that his angels will, will, will carry you. I mean, don't you believe the word of God? Disguise to deceive. And what about when he takes him? He says, let me show you all the earthly kingdoms of the world. Satan, just go ahead. Uh, Jesus, just go ahead. Just bow down to me. I'll give this all to you. It's just disguising to deceive. Of course, in the text of scripture, Jesus doesn't go for it one iota. In fact, he commands Satan to leave him after that, right? So this is how Satan works. It's his strategy. He continues to use it even to this day. Here's my fourth point, right? And this is verse 15. So point one was Paul shows the difference between himself and the false apostles so they can know what is really really disguising to deceive. Then number two, in verse 13, Paul shows the strategy of the false apostles disguised to deceive. Point three, Paul reminds them that this is the same strategy Satan uses and has been using. And number four, this is the last point, verse 15. Paul reinforces the idea that the false apostles are still using this strategy. Sometimes things have to be repeated so that you'll notice something. Verse 15, he says this, Therefore, it is not surprising 
if his ministers also, you see that word disguise again? Disguise themselves as ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So he reinforces the idea, don't forget, this is how it's going to happen. These false teachers are going to use this. Don't be surprised, verse 15. Therefore, it is not surprising. There is a saying, right? You've probably heard it. I heard my dad say it many times in the past. If it's not broke, don't fix it. It's not broke. All the way what Satan did in the garden with Eve, it's rinse and repeat. He's been doing it. It's not broke. It actually works. Disguise to deceive. That's how it works. Still working that way. Now, the difference is, is that if you're in Christ, if you have, if you know Jesus as your Lord and King, if you have the Word of God, you have the Spirit of God, you're able to see past the disguises and see the deception. But without it, you're not. But even sometimes, you have to be careful. You, really. I mean, honestly, please, like, hear me out on this. We have to be careful. Satan's strategy is he, he will do everything he can to disguise. He uses the pulpits of our churches. He uses the counseling offices. Oh, he uses the counselor as one of the primary ones. He uses the, the bookshelf of our Amazon cart. He uses the ideas and philosophies of man. He even uses what I would call pseudo-diagnosis sometimes. Like, for instance, I'll give you one. And you probably heard me talk about it, but I think it's just one more example of a disguise to deceive. Um, if you talk to any counselor today, if you, I'm telling you, it, almost weekly, I'll, I'll, I'll hear a discussion about this. There's something that has kind of been created over the last few years called the narcissistic personality disorder. Have you ever heard of that? You might be saying, yeah, that's me, right? Narcissistic personality disorder, right? By the way, uh, that diagnosis from the Diagnostic Statistical Manual given uh, by psychotherapists have actually resulted in a tremendous amount of divorces to this day. Well, it's what happens. You know, spouse is unhappy with their spouse. They go to their counselor. They talk about their spouse and their counselor's first response typically is, oh, well, your husband has narcissistic personality disorder, right? Man, you got to get away from that guy. He, once you have it, you're, it's, a, it's a disease. You just can't get away from it. Forget it. Or vice versa, it happens. By the way, just to let's just be honest with ourselves. A lot of times when we go for help for problems with people, a lot of times we're just looking for someone to justify our reason for getting away from that relationship. But here's one of the things about narcissistic personality disorder. So just to put my cards on the table, there is no such thing as a medical disorder called narcissistic personality disorder. It's not true. It's a disguise to deceive. You know, the word narcissist actually comes from Greek mythology. Isn't that funny? Our own medical establishment, our own psychotherapeutic world is saying, is using Greek mythology to help us diagnose a person. So Narcissus, in Greek mythology, there's a guy named Narcissus. And Narcissus was very beautiful. And, and, and he was so beautiful that women would kill themselves to be with him, right? I know most of us men understand what that's like, right? So one of the things that Narcissus did is he began to look at himself, right? His reflection, and it killed him. It killed himself by actually staring at himself so much, admiring his beauty, Narcissus. That is where we get the idea of narcissism. Now, what's interesting is you hear people all the time, I hear people all the time say things like, oh, well, the word of God is so outdated. It's so old and dusty. Man makes Man has made new observations about man that are accurate and true and correct. And we've evolved in such a way that we can understand man better. I mean, God's word is great. It's good. It's it's a supplement. But man, we've really been able to look at things. And so they come up with ideas about here are the symptoms of narcissism that 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 get defined, right? They get um, where you get a diagnosis. A narcissistic person is a person who has a high sense of self-importance. And requires constant and excessive admiration, right? This is what you get the diagnosis of narcissists. Or also, they feel that they deserve privileges and special treatment. Or, in addition, they expect to be recognized as superior, even without achievements. The narcissistic person gets the diagnosis because they, because they make achievements and talent seem bigger than what they are. They like to talk about themselves. The narcissist in the professional diagnosis, they're preoccupied 
with their fantasies of success and power and brilliance. They believe they're superior. They're superior. They're critical of and look down on people all around them. Now, here's the interesting thing. Do you know the scriptures talked about that a long time ago before we created some false therapeutic diagnosis? The Bible calls that pride. Self-exaltation, selfish ambition. The Bible had already talked about that a long time ago, already gave a diagnosis. And the diagnosis for pride is Jesus. The diagnosis is seeing the bigness of your sin and the beauty of his forgiveness there. And then when God comes into your life and transforms your life, your life becomes no longer about your pride, about your self-exaltation, about your accomplishments, about you. It becomes about the glory of God and how you can be an instrument in the hand of the Redeemer to love others. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is for a reason. God's people even buy into these disguises that are meant to really deceive us with Satan's way. Where you'll have people all the live long day will think that their problem is that they've got some kind of problem biologically on the inside that the Bible says, no, your problem's not biological in this your problem's actually of the heart. You need to repent. You need to admit your sin. You need God's word to transform and renew you. But we'll be careful of as we bind to the disguises, we'll bind to the deception. So we conclude in verse 15, he says this, Therefore it's not surprising that his ministers also disguise themselves as the ministers of righteousness. Those who put out false teaching, they look great. They have the veneer of something that's an angel of light. But in the end, their end will be according to their deeds. In the end, they will meet, they will meet the judgment seat of the Lord. They will be accountable for what they say. They will be accountable for what they teach. Now here's where we're going to leave the message here today. And I kind of kept this one because it's the one I think is the most deceptive of all these uh, that Brandon let me borrow. For God's people, for us, for 2024, could we ask the Lord, what are the ways that I have, what are the disguises that have been existing in my world? What are the disguises that that I've even bought into that have deceived me, that have set their hooks? And remember, the disguises actually often look very beautiful what are the thoughts that you've been believing about other people what are the things that you've been thinking in your own heart and soul and mind the great thing is if you're in christ there's a different end for you if you're in christ one of the beauty beautiful things about being in christ being a christian is that you have god's word and god's spirit to help you discern and see through these disguises so you won't be deceived And that's the beauty of Christ. This is the beauty of even being part of a great church, even being part of a family of faith. I I tell my my girls all the time, man, we're really blessed. A lot of a lot of our culture and society now, they're not even sure what a man is, what a woman is, like what who you're supposed to be attracted to. I mean, there's there's so much confusion that abounds now that that isn't a confusion that those in the body of Christ that we have, we don't even have to buy into that disguise. We can th- see through the deception. But could you imagine for those of you, I mean, I'm 45 years old. I could not imagine being a 15 year old boy back in the day being told among the multitude of other decisions. I'm trying. Y'all remember being like 15, 13. You remember some of you are like, I'm there right now. <laughs> you remember, you remember, you remember how uncomfortable it was just trying to figure things out in your world and the thought and like to have that as a layer on top of everything. Man, if you've got parents who love the Lord, who've been raising you to love the Lord, man, thank the Lord. There's so much good that it comes from God's word and God's people. Take 2024 to have a time of renewing our hearts and minds, asking the Lord, Lord, what are the disguises? What are the thoughts I've been disguising in my life that are not of you. God, will you expose it in your word? God, will you will you let me mark off as sacred your word? Remember, when Jesus was resenting the temptations, he did it continually through the word of God. Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to have a time of praying for us and we're going to pray um, and then sing a song to the Lord. And, and, and as we sing this song, we'll be passing out communion to take it together. Would you join me in prayer? And if you're here and Jesus is not your Lord and King. I'm going to pray for you as well. Would you join me in prayer? First, I want to pray for you if you're not in Christ. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus as Lord and King. You've never admitted that your sinfulness has condemned you to the wrath of God.
that your sins show your rebellion against the God of heaven. Maybe you realize you're still in your sin. I want to pray this prayer for you, and you can pray it in your own heart with me. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've broken your commandments. I've lied. I've deceived. I've not honored my parents. I've not honored you. I've worshipped idols. I've lusted. I've desired what's not mine. I've even, I've even, I've even wanted to hurt people in my own heart. I've practiced sinful anger. I've murder of the heart. Lord, I know that you live perfectly, that you qualified to die for my sin. Thank you for dying in my place, taking the judgment I deserve. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Make me a follower of you. Make me a new creation in Christ. With our heads bowed, if that's you, and that's a prayer you just prayed, and you meant it, please let me know. Let let someone who brought you today know. And let me pray for the rest of us. We as God's people now need a time of inward reflection. Would you help us to see what disguises have been happening in our own life? Let us take the Lord's Supper with a sincere heart. Some of us may not be able to take it in the moment because we've now realizing what disguises are there. There may be some of us that need to take it because now we're repenting even in the moment. We're ready to repent. We need to remember the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. We need to remember this as we take communion. So, so God, do that. Help us. Would you let this year be a different year for our souls? May the word of God filter everything from what we listen to, to what we read, to what we put into our lives, to the philosophies and ideas of man. Would you help us? I bless our time of singing back to you right before we take the Lord's Supper. Prepare our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.